Hey everybody, Pastor Dan here. Wanted to give you all a quick disclaimer about this week's sermon. Our message for this week deals with some adult themes. There's nothing downright obscene or anything like that in this message, but you can take a look uh, at the title or read the passage that we're going to be looking at, Leviticus 18, and you'll have an idea of where this is heading. All that to say, if there are little ears nearby, uh, this is a sermon that you might want to listen to first before letting kids uh, listen to it. Hope you enjoy the message. God bless. You're listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading today is Leviticus 18, 1 through 28. It's difficult to read, and I'm sure it's difficult to listen, but I hope you will concentrate not on the words, but what's behind the words. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. You must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That would dishonor you. Do not have sexual relations with the daughter of your father's wife. Born to your father, she is your sister. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister. She is your father's close relative. Do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister because she is your mother's close relative. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations with sexual relations. She is your aunt. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations with a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. They are her close relatives. That is wickedness. Do not take your sister's wife as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. Do not approach a woman to have sexual relations during the uncleanliness of her monthly period. Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, that is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it, 
That is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sins, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. You must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you, among you must not do any of these detestable things, for all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were here before you. The word of God for the people of God. I feel like it should be clarified. I checked with her like three times to make sure she was okay Five reading. Times they asked. Five times. Oh gosh! Thank you for reading that. <clears throat> uh, so a few weeks back, uh, I was talking to Lucas, our organist. It was either before or after a church service. Um, I was giving him a heads up about like what was coming, what would be what we'd be discussing in the sermons, uh, music ideas, things like that. And I told him we'd be uh, getting into this chapter, Leviticus 18. And Lucas was like, you do know that you don't have to preach on every part of Leviticus, right? So we'll see, we'll see if that, um, we'll see how that plays out. Oh man, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> All right, <clears throat> before we get into uh, what is sure to be an interesting sermon, I do want to take a moment to thank Pastor Alicia for her sermon last week, for covering the pulpit while I was on vacation. Uh, Alicia did a fantastic job. If you didn't hear her sermon, yeah, you can clap for that. Um, if you weren't here, um, please watch it on our YouTube channel or listen on the website. It was solid. Um, and man, if you thought last week was awkward <laughs> with the talk of like childbirth and menstruation and all that, uh, just wait. <clears throat> Leviticus 18 is probably definitely the most challenging chapter in the entire book of Leviticus. No one preaches on this stuff, perhaps wisely. Um, we don't read this stuff. This is the part of the Bible that we normally skip. Normally just pretend that like all of this isn't there. As Baptists, we even call ourselves a people of the book, just not this part, right? We're in the Holiness Codes, um, this collection of laws about how to be holy. And so this chapter starts like a lot of other parts of the Holiness Codes that we've already looked, like, uh, looked at with uh, these warnings for the Israelites not to behave like their neighbors. Don't be like the Egyptians who enslaved you. Don't be like the Canaanites, the people in the land you're about to enter, but be holy as God is holy. <clears throat> so we get that warning, and then for like 15 verses, we get this long list of all the people you're not supposed to have sex with, and the bulk of it is family relations. Um, I'm not going to put this back on the screen. You can follow along in your uh, pew Bible if you want, but just some highlights from this. Don't dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Pretty sure that's the tone Moses was going for. Uh, do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father, not to mention his wife. Um, don't have sexual relations with your sister. Don't have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. This goes on for some time. Then we get this um, lovely line in verse 21. Don't sacrifice your children to Molech. That's a rival Canaanite god, so don't sacrifice your kids to him or to any rival god, I think is fair uh, to imply from that. 
Then we get a few more verses with more people and animals we're not supposed to sleep with. And then it ends with another warning for the Israelites not to be like their neighbors. Why are we talking about this stuff? Like, why not just skip Leviticus 18 and, like, get to the good stuff, you know? Because believe it or not, uh, the next couple weeks, our last two or three weeks in Leviticus, is going to be filled with a lot of really good stuff. Why are we doing this? I promise it's not to torture you. Although that might be a little side effect of it. Um, But there are actually a few reasons that we like to zero in on these kind of passages when they come up as we preach through books of the Bible. Um, For one, it's there. It's in the Bible. And believe it or not, people actually do read this thing. Like, you have probably read this book or a part of it at some point, and we're not even that far into it, right? Like, Leviticus 18 is here. We are not very far into the Bible. So people are going to read this, they're going to come across this, and they're going to have no idea what to do with it. That's one reason we talk about uh, these uncomfortable passages. Another is that there are a number of Christians out there at other churches who know exactly what they want to do with this passage. Leviticus 18 includes one of only two prohibitions we get in the entire Old Testament of same-sex relations. It's one of two. It's in verse 22. Do not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. There are a lot of Christians who know exactly what they want to do with that part. They want to take that out. They want to ignore all the stuff we don't really understand the rest of this chapter. And they want to use that line to beat up on their LGBTQ plus neighbors. We have people in this church, there are probably people in this room who have been the victims of that line, who've had that verse weaponized against them. So as a welcoming and affirming congregation, as a church that has made it part of our ethos, part of our mission to include everyone, we've got to know how to handle and talk about these passages because there are Christians out there who are talking about it. They're weaponizing it. And they're wrong. So we've got to talk about this stuff. Let's talk about Leviticus 18. I mentioned a moment ago we're in the Holiness Codes. It's a section of Leviticus that we introduced a few weeks back, um, outlining what holiness looks like, how to be holy as God is holy. And the Holiness Codes include this entire chapter about sex. Now, a question you might be asking, I think it's a question a lot of folks will ask, is why? Why is the Bible so concerned about sex? Why do we get an entire chapter in the Holiness Codes about sex? Why this emphasis? Isn't this just like the worst of religion? Repressive, backwards, trying to police people in their own bedrooms? Haven't we gotten past that? Like in our more evolved, liberated culture? Remember what we said a few weeks ago about the Holiness Codes and kind of the two focal points of them. The Holiness Codes are concerned with how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. They're concerned with justice, right? It's a huge theme of the Holiness Codes. Um, They include laws about making sure laborers are fairly compensated. 
Make sure you take care of the poor. Make sure you take care of the immigrants. Um, don't put a stumbling block before the blind. Make sure that everyone has what they need. If you're going to be holy, if you want to be holy as God is holy, then you'd better make sure to respect and care for your fellow human beings. We see an entire chapter on sex, and it strikes us as odd, as weird. But what more intimate connection do we experience with another person than when we're in the bedroom? What more holy, sacred, and potentially destructive connection can you have with another person aside from that? So, of course, the Bible talks about this stuff. Of course the Bible talks about sex. Look how much damage can be done when sex is misused, especially by people in power. When sex is used in an abusive or manipulative way. From the governor's mansion, to the Supreme Court, to the White House not very long ago, to the church. Two stories broke uh, a little over a week ago when I was on vacation. Uh, one was the state attorney general's report um, about our governor, uh, well, soon to be former governor, and all the stuff he's accused of doing. Bullying, sexually harassing, um, sexually assaulting. Uh, Eleven women that he's worked with or who have worked for him. That was one big story. Um, another one that didn't get quite as much attention last week was a story that broke about Hillsong Church. This is a rough one, too. Um, Hillsong is this massive megachurch down in Australia. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, it was founded <clears throat> by a father and son duo of pastors, Frank and Brian Houston, back in the 80s. If you haven't heard of Hillsong, that's fine, um, but you've almost certainly heard some of their music. Uh, Hillsong Worship, uh, their music ministry has produced most of the hit contemporary Christian worship songs of the last 30 years. Um, songs like Oceans, uh, Mighty to Save, what a beautiful name it is. These are songs, some of these songs we've sung here in church. Came out a few years ago <clears throat> that the father of that duo, who passed away back in 04, I think, um, was molesting children for decades. And last week, his son Brian, who still pastors Hillsong Church, was indicted for covering it up. Leviticus has something to say about this. It has something to say about these men with power who abuse others sexually, and believe it or not, it says it right here in Leviticus 18. One of the first things I noticed um, as I was working through this passage, preparing for this sermon, <clears throat> is that all the commands in Leviticus 18 are addressed to men. Did you notice that when we read it? Like, every command is addressed to men. It's super obvious in the Hebrew, a little less so in the English, but, like, they're all addressed to men, all of them. Um, all the sex with relatives stuff, don't have sex with your father's wife, your sister, your son's daughter, it is so thorough, so exhaustive. It covers, like, every possible family relation. But there is no, like, don't sleep with your daughter's husband, Right? There's nothing that would apply to at least a heterosexual woman, as we'd understand today. It's all written 
to men. Even the clobber passage, um, even Leviticus 18.22, the command isn't don't be gay or don't have sex with someone of the same gender. No, the command is oddly specific. Don't have sex with a man as with a woman. It's directed, again, at men. Even the part about bestiality, which there's a line I never expected to say in a sermon, um, but even that part um, about not allowing women to have sex with animals, even that line is not written to women directly. It's written to men. It's like, don't let your women do this, which I cannot imagine was a problem. But even that is written to men. Why? Why are all these laws, all these commands about sex addressed to men? We could just dismiss it all as patriarchy, right? It was a patriarchal society. Um, This was more than 3,000 years ago. Women had no rights. Thank God we've progressed a bit since then. We could chalk this all up to patriarchy and just move on. But I'm not sure that would faithfully acknowledge the extent of what life was like back then. And it certainly wouldn't help much, maybe it would, (laughs) with all the misbehaving men we are still struggling with today. So let's talk about life in ancient Israel. Let's talk about ancient Israelite society for a minute because it's really important if we're going to understand Leviticus 18. Ancient Israel was a tribal system. You had, uh, you actually had 12 tribes. Each was in its own territory. And within each tribe, oh, go back one. No, just the big yellow circle. Boom. Uh, Within each tribe, basically everyone was related. Everyone in the tribe was either a brother or an uncle or a sister or a distant cousin. And if someone wasn't related to you, chances were good they were married to someone who was related to you. Then within each tribe, you had these families, extended family units. And all of these units were centered around a patriarch. A man, always a man, usually a very wealthy man, usually older, with incredible power and authority within that family unit. Then, within each of these extended family units, if we break it down a little bit more, you have households. And again, every household is headed by a man either the father or the oldest surviving son. This is not an affirmation of this society's structure, by the way. I'm just showing kind of what this was like. This is what life looked like back then. At every level of society, all social, political, and legal authority rested in the hands of these incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful men. Men who were surrounded by women who were related to them. So the holiness codes of ancient Israel begin by addressing these men directly. And it tells them, here's a list of everyone you are not allowed to have sex with. Here's a list of everyone you are not allowed to violate. And violate is the right word, because let's face it, back then, consent is not even on the radar. The text is telling us 
If this thing is going to work, if Israel's going to survive, if you're going to be holy as God is holy, heck, if society is going to function and thrive, then you have to restrain the sexual appetites of powerful men. Is this feeling relevant yet for folks in the room? Are we, are we preaching yet? This isn't a church that yells amen a lot, but that would have been a good line. <clears throat> amen. <clears throat> if this is going to work, if society is going to thrive, we have to check the sexual appetites of these powerful men. Now, admittedly, this is not the way we would write it today. Like, Leviticus 18, if we were to do this today, would look very different. This is a 3,500-year-old document, very patriarchal, times have changed, progress, can't say that enough. Um, but if we were to make something like this today for the church or for an organization or for like a, a state government, which is what ancient Israel was, we'd probably start by talking about consent, right? Like that would be a good starting point. We talk about um, the need to respect your fellow human beings. We talk about dignity. We would talk about boundaries. What is okay and not okay in a professional or religious or any social setting? If we were to write like a modern Christian guide to sexual integrity, we'd talk about mutuality and respect and love and commitment and marriage, right? Those would be the focal points. It would look very different today. But the point is the same. Society cannot function if people with power are exploiting those around them. And this is a point that still needs to be driven home for some reason today for so many people, often men. Our governor, uh, in his statement last week, was like, um, times have changed. And I'm like, dude, no. What you did was never okay. Leviticus isn't even cool with it. See, we read this chapter, and we see all these weird commands about sex, but Leviticus 18 is not about sex, not primarily. Leviticus 18 is about power. It's not about sex. It's about power. Even the clobber passage, verse 22, don't have sex with a man as with a woman. It's basically saying don't exploit men the way you keep exploiting women. We've just ruled out all the women in your context that you are not to take advantage of sexually. So just in case you were thinking, well, there's other people here who aren't women. Nope. They're protected too. That's what Leviticus 18.22 is getting at. So the next time you see some religious person bashing someone with that verse you can tell them that they're not reading the Bible very well. Unless they're, like, criticizing someone who actually is sexually exploiting someone of the same gender. Then, then they're right. But otherwise, they are taking that verse way out of context. Where all this comes together, uh, believe it or not, <clears throat> where this really clicked for me as I was reading through all this and preparing for this message, is that line about child sacrifice. You guys remember that? Um, did you catch that when Cindy read through it? Um, verse 21, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Do not give any of your children 
to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God, I am the Lord? Like, what is that doing in the middle of the chapter? What does that have to do with all the sex stuff? Molech was the god of power. Here's a picture of Molech. This is how he would have been depicted back then. Um, Head like a bull, body like a man, always a man. Um, Sometimes he'd have wings. That hole in his stomach is an oven. Uh, The holes in his chest are chimneys for the uh, exhaust. Molech was the god of power. And he was an incredibly popular god in ancient Canaanite religion. Um, in the land that the Israelites are about to enter. If you wanted power, you worship Molech. His name literally means to rule. So if you wanted authority, if you wanted to extend your, your reach, if you wanted to grow your riches and your wealth, you worship Molech. And Molech demanded child sacrifice. That's what the cult of Molech was known for. And in some of the darkest times of Israel's history in the the story of God that we have in the Bible, when they are at their farthest from God, their most rebellious, their most idolatrous, the Israelites, some of them, would sacrifice their children to Molech. That comes up half a dozen times in the Old Testament. And every time it does, the people leading the way in Molech worship are the kings the men with power. This verse is sitting right in the middle of Leviticus 18 to remind us this isn't about sex. It's about power. I looked over the state attorney general's report um, that came out, and it's awful. And this stuff keeps happening. Like, it keeps happening over and over again, what we saw in in Hillsong Church, what we see from other churches. It happens in government, it happens in the church, it happens in the public eye for, like, all to see, it happens in the dark corners of our own neighborhoods. Women, children, and men without power being exploited. The statistics are maddening, sickening. 81% of women and 43% of men in our country report experiencing some form of sexual harassment or assault. 81% of women, 43% of men. One in five women in the United States report experiencing rape at some point in their lifetime. And those, I can't emphasize enough, those are the reported cases. Experts think that that's about twice as much, at least. Uh, nearly a quarter of men, 24.8%, uh, sorry, 24.8% report suffering some form of contact sexual violence in their lifetime. Quarter of men. And across the board, with all victims of, of sexual violence, one in three female victims and one in four male victims report that their first experience of this stuff, of this violence, occurred before they were 18 years old. If that's you, if you see yourself in any of these statistics, you are not alone. I can't emphasize that enough. You're not alone in this church. You're not alone in this room. 
You are not alone. You are not to blame. God is with you. God is for you. You are not alone. The church can be so tone deaf about this stuff sometimes. I can't tell you the stories I've heard of how even like the Bible gets twisted to protect and shelter abusers and put the blame on victims. We gaslight people. We say, it's just locker room talk. They didn't mean anything by it. We have the audacity to tell women in the church to cover their bodies so they don't cause their Christian brothers to stumble. When it should be the other way around. The onus should be on the abuser, not the abused. And if there's one bit of good news in Leviticus 18, it's that when it comes to this kind of stuff, the responsibility is always placed on the abuser. It's the abusers who need to be held accountable. It's the powerful who need to check their sexual appetites and their lusts for more power, not the people they abuse. None of this is going to work until we check the misbehavior of the powerful. That's the message of Leviticus 18. We've got a phone number on the screen. You probably saw it by now. Um, It's the National Sex Assault uh, Survivors Hotline, 1-800-656-4673. That number is available 24-7. If you or anyone you know has been the victim of sexual violence, you can call that number and get support. You can reach out to the church. Uh, You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor Alicia. You can talk to any leader in the church, and we will do everything in our power to get you the help and the support that you need. That's our promise to you. And every week in our bulletin, in the Going Deeper section, we always try to put something in there to help you build on these teachings, to help you take it a step further and internalize it. And it was a struggle this week. I wasn't sure what to put in there. But we went for um, a prayer for healing from abuse. You can take this home with you. You can make a copy of it, give it to someone who might benefit from it. But I want to close our time uh, in prayer today. And I want to read this prayer. So I invite you to bow your heads. Let's pray. God of endless love, ever caring, ever strong, always present, and always just, you gave your only Son to save us by the blood of his cross. Gentle Jesus, shepherd of peace, join to your own suffering the pain of all who have been hurt in body, mind, and spirit by those who betrayed the trust placed in them. Hear the cries of our brothers and sisters who have been gravely harmed and the cries of those who love them. Soothe their restless hearts with hope. Steady their shaken spirits with faith. Grant them justice for their cause, enlightened by your truth. Holy Spirit, comforter of hearts, heal your people's wounds and transform brokenness into wholeness. 
Grant us the courage and the wisdom, humility, and grace to act with justice. Breathe wisdom into our prayers and labors. Grant that all harm by abuse may find peace in justice. We ask this through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.